response will be? Thanks be to God. Excellent. We're learning to do this together, and I'm thrilled by it. So uh, this is John chapter 15. It's going to be on the screen. We're reading verses 1 through 8. This is what it says. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Awesome. Okay, go ahead and have a seat. Thanks for doing that. I am, uh, I am thrilled and excited about today's passage. This is week two in a series calling we're calling the Vision Series. We're going to talk about being like Jesus, being with Jesus, and doing as Jesus did. And I want to just highlight something. Our vision for ministry, our vision for discipleship is summed up in three phrases or three little um, uh, sayings, if you will. We are efforting to uh, do deep work, right? So the work of discipleship is deep. It's not shallow. It takes a lot. It requires uh, us to do some searching, to do some learning, to do some praying, some scripture reading. It requires a lot of us. It is deep work. And we're doing it in community. Part of your community is right here. But you have other people outside of this church, I'm sure, that are helping form you. Okay, so we're doing deep work in community. And we're doing it over a long period of time in our culture where we are just um, mesmerized by quick and fast and right now, we often believe that that can be the journey that we have from God. And it's just not. It's actually a lifetime's worth of journey. And so we adopt that same approach, deep work in community over a long period of time. Now today, God can do whatever God pleases in your life, okay? So I'm not presuming to be God, but my assumption is that this is going to be a small piece of his word that's going to inform you a little bit more, that's going to continue to grow and build for wherever you are. That's the beauty of scripture. God builds on wherever you are to make you more like him. Okay, so one of my favorite hobbies is golfing. Any golfers in here? Okay, we've got a few. Yeah, we've got some golfers in the house. It's not great golf season weather. Um, that's okay, though. One of my favorite privileges of golfing is that every once in a while I get the opportunity to go play a really nice golf course, okay? They're beautiful, they're challenging, and they are rare. They are rare. Golf, nice golf courses can be hard to find. We are spoiled with where we are. Now, over the course of my golf career, and that pun was definitely intended, just so you know, <laughs> I've played some exclusive places. My access to that exclusive club or place that I've been though is completely contingent on one thing. It's contingent on who I know and nothing else. 
Okay, okay, you get what I'm saying? Some of these courses um, are exclusive because of their remote location. Some of them are exclusive because they have steep membership fees. But both types are meant to be enjoyed by a select few. Okay? Now, I mentioned this not to brag. Of course, I'm sure some of you have played really nice courses, but rather to highlight the fact that it's actually not because of my ability, right? I am a decent golfer, uh, but nothing about my ability or my know-how or my experience in the golf world gets me access to these rare and exclusive golf clubs. I'm only there because I've been invited there by somebody who has membership by somebody who has privilege, by somebody who has access. Now, some of the most exclusive clubs, they come with these incredible benefits. Some of you maybe have been there, okay? If you're a guest of a member that's playing or that belongs to an exclusive club and you go, you get to enjoy these benefits. For some of them, it's like unending, unlimited food and drink at no extra expense. That's right, some of you are like, okay, maybe I do take up golf now, right? <laughs> You get all of the privileges of the paying member simply by being their guest. But, and here's the thing, here's the kicker. The minute, the second I am no longer connected to that member for any reason, whether they just decided to not be my friend anymore or they just want me to leave or maybe they leave if they're not even on the premises, the minute that that happens, my privileges are revoked and I instantly become a trespasser on private property. I'm no longer a privileged guest, but now I am a trespasser. So my privilege is 100% connected and dependent on the member that I've been invited by. Now Jesus makes the same analogy about our relationship to him in that passage that we just read. He says, I am the vine and we are the branches. Now in John 10, verse 10, Jesus makes this amazing declaration. You've heard me say it before, and I'm gonna say it a bunch. It says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And Jesus contrasts that with his role. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now Jesus is reminding his audience, you have a real enemy and they intend to do nothing but steal from you, to kill every dream you have and to destroy everything good in your life. If you're not aware of that, you should be now. But Jesus, Jesus has come to give us life, and life to the full. And it's not just that scraping by, kind of surviving type of life. Jesus says it is a full life. And in order to walk into that type of life, Jesus is saying, I am the vine, I am the producer of this life, and you are the branches, and so your pathway, your journey, your um, direction into that full life is simply by remaining connected to me, remaining connected to Jesus. That's the only pathway Jesus is saying. In the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is like the member, and we are his eternally adopted guests. Come on, somebody, okay? Did the cold freeze your response mechanisms? 
You're all staring at me like I got something weird on my face. Maybe it is. It's the mustache. <laughs> yeah, okay. So last week, as I said, we began this series on discipleship, and we're talking about what a life is like for the follower of Jesus, or as we put it last week, an apprentice of Jesus, somebody who's discipling after Jesus. What does that look like practically? And in case you missed it, I'm going to put on my history nerd hat for just a few minutes. And I talked about um, last week, and I'll remind you in brief what it was like, what first century Jewish discipleship would have looked like, because this is the circle that Jesus ran in, right? In that time, it was common practice for everyone to apprentice underneath a rabbi, which is another word for teacher, right? And this was actually their primary method of teaching their kids how to interact with society in its whole, right? So it wasn't just like Sunday school and then they went to a different school. The rabbi was uh, the teacher of how they lived and how they interacted with society and culture. Now, each rabbi, each rabbi was an expert both in Israelite history and the law of God. And so they would incorporate those things to teach the kids how to read and write, do math, all of the essential things. It was through that. It was through the Old Testament. The first five books of the Bible were memorized by every kid by the age of 12. What? That's crazy. And so every rabbi, they had disciples or apprentices, and the goal was this. It was threefold, okay? Their goal of every apprentice, of every rab with every rabbi was to be with their rabbi, to be like their rabbi, and to do what their rabbi did. And in some ways, not much has changed for us when we think about our relationship to Jesus. In fact, in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus left with this command. He was getting ready to return to heaven, and he leaves this saying, this passage, to his disciples. It's going to be on your screen as well. Matthew 28, 18 through, through 20 says this. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now Jesus tells his disciples, listen, everything I've taught you, Everything that you've watched me do, everything that we've talked about, that I've commanded you, all of it, I want you to go and teach others about it. And I want to teach you, I want you to teach them just as I taught you how to do it. And so just like it was common practice for an apprentice to mimic the rabbi, we are called to apprentice underneath Jesus. More specifically, we are to be with Jesus, to be like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. But how do we today be with Jesus? And that's what I want to talk about today. Today is specifically about being with Jesus. Now, this is arguably the primary and most important part of apprenticing under Jesus, is being with him, okay? Historically, there was a time where someone could physically follow Jesus while he was on earth. But as we know, Jesus has returned to his right-hand position with God the Father. But Jesus actually promised to leave us another helper. 
In John 14, 15 through 17, it says this. It'll be on your screen. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. So God sends the Holy Spirit to help us, and it's actually through the power of the Holy Spirit that we are able to be with Jesus. And then in John 15, we read, shortly right after that passage, we read that passage that, that we just read at the beginning about Jesus being the vine and we are the branches. And this is an analogy that Jesus wants to highlight that shows the nature of our relationship to Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, okay? Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. Our connection to Jesus produces something in our life. Let me reread just verses seven and eight for you from 15. It says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So how do we know that remaining in Jesus is fruitful. How do we know? Yeah, yeah, that's it. The Lord is calling someone's child. <laughs> so we know that remaining in Jesus is fruitful, but what does that look like practically, right? Like, what does that look like? How do we know that we are living by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and how do we know that we are truly apprenticing under Jesus? Well, thankfully, there's many examples throughout Scripture that tell us what that will produce in us. But there's one specific passage that many of you are probably very familiar with, even if you didn't know it was from Scripture or know where it is in Scripture, and that is Galatians 5, where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of literally abiding and remaining in the Spirit. And so I want to read to you this longer section, a lot of scripture today. I want to read to you this section from Galatians 5, and it contrasts the life that is not in the Spirit and the life that is in the Spirit. It gives us a glimpse of what a life not in the Spirit looks like and the type of fruit that that produces, and what a life in the Spirit looks like and the type of fruit that that produces. So Galatians 5, it's going to be verses 13 through 26, if you want to follow along in your Bible or in your Bible app or just on the screen. It says this, you, my brothers and sisters, this is to everyone in Galatia, we are called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other 
so that you are not to do whatever you want. Dang it. (laughs) But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, see, that's the beautiful part of this passage. It doesn't stop there. It's not a bunch of, hey, just don't be like this and figure it out for yourself. It's don't do these things because the better things are in front of you. And here's what they look like in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, meaning the fruit that comes from a life in the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Now, this this passage is beautiful, and it has so many good things for us. So I want to just kind of take my idea by idea just really briefly. First of all, it says that each of us are called to be free. This means that we um, have a life in the spirit that is freedom. Just as we are not slaves to sin, we are not slaves to a bunch of rules either. Rather, we have been given freedom in Jesus, which we must use wisely. Because the freedom is a gift that should not be wasted on useless things. Because those useless things, the acts of the flesh, while on the surface appear to be good, they ultimately leave us dissatisfied and hollow and empty and wanting more. The second thing is, is each of us are called to use our freedom to love one another. Moment by moment, the reality of this command could lead to these like endless applications of how we can love one another. But thankfully, they sum it up for us in this one command. In verse 14, it says it. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you are not sure how to act or to think or to respond in a given moment or decision, consider how you wish to be responded to, to be acted towards. And then do that for your neighbor. Jesus is asked in one of his teachings, who's my neighbor? And Jesus points out to the fact, the person next to you. Anybody who's next to you. It's not this specific group of people who deserve extra favor. It's the person that is next to you, whether that be somebody that you love or somebody that you feel like you don't care about or someone who you dislike. You are still to respond in love. The third thing that it says is that the desires of our flesh, the sin that's in the world, It is in conflict with the spirit. They do not mesh. And it says that they're obvious. 
So this is suggesting that it will not be hard to identify the conflict between a fleshly desire and a life in the spirit if you remain connected to Jesus. So these are not microscopic differences that you should be wrestling over, right? If you're thinking, oh, I don't know if I should take this job or not. It's, it could be good or bad. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the obvious things, things you know you shouldn't be doing. And then fourthly, it says that we have a life that's connected to Jesus is not just about avoiding some behaviors. Rather, it's about the beautiful fruit that it will produce in our life. Verse 22 and 23 reminds us, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against all of these things, there is no such law. You can have as much of them as you can handle. So here's the thing. We get these things by abiding in the Spirit, not by trying to produce them ourselves, right? So if you want to love more, if you're like, I wish I could just be more loving, you don't self-determine to love more. It says you remain in Jesus. If you want more joy, you don't effort for more joy. Ah, I just wish I was so much more joyful. I promise you that doesn't look like you're trying. <laughs> Instead, you remain in Jesus and the fruit is joy. If you want more peace, remain in Jesus and you will have more peace. If you want forbearance, which is patience, be with Jesus and your patience for those annoying people will grow. I'm sure I'm one of those to at least one of you. So please. I knew it. I knew. I deserve it too. I'm not even saying I don't. I'm human. If you want to be more kind, don't strive for kindness, remain in Jesus. If you want to produce more goodness, remain in Jesus. If you want to grow in your faithfulness, you don't try to muster more faith. Ah, I just want to be more faithful. Instead, you remain in Jesus. If you want to be more gentle with your kids and your spouse and your friends, remain in Jesus. And if you want more self-control in any area of your life, you don't effort for self-control. You remain in Jesus. Just like an apple does not determine to be more juicy or more sweet. Instead, it just remains connected to the branch from which it gains all of the essential nutrients that make it juicy and sweet. Do you want to be juicy? <laughs> Do you want to be sweet? <coughs> remain in Jesus. Okay, that one's not in the text. That's a gift from me to you. The principle is true though. Okay, so here's what I hope you're thinking right now. I hope you're thinking, okay, Rick, you've convinced me that remaining in Jesus is a good and necessary thing, but I need help doing that. And my response to that is yes, because we can help with that. We can help with that. In fact, our team has been working very hard to develop and implement a strategy to help people connect and apprentice with Jesus. This plan in our hope and our, what we believe will happen because of this plan is to get everyone to sort of show people how to arrange their life around the practices of Jesus so that they can be more like Jesus. 
and to do that collectively together as a church as we move forward living our unique lives. See, here's the thing. If it was just a program where we could all quit our jobs and move out of different houses and different schedules, I mean, that's just not how it's designed. It's not gonna happen. Instead, we have all of these unique lives that we live, and yet Jesus is calling us to a similar way of practicing our faith. And so we've developed a rule of life for our community as a whole. Okay, so you're thinking, well, what is a rule of life? That's a great question if you don't know. A rule of life is a support system that a person, or in this case, a community, might adopt that's designed to implement and support any desired growth. So if you set yourself to grow in your ability to learn or to get healthier or to work on a specific area of your life, you would use, hopefully, if you're wise, different tools and practices, these systems, to help encourage that in your life, right? An app or a friend or whatever it may be, you design this support system. It's not the fruit itself, it's designing you to, or it's designed to get you to the thing that you're desiring. Here's a helpful definition from a rule of life related to practicing the way of Jesus. It says this, a rule of life is a schedule and a set of practices and relational rhythms that help us create space in our busy world to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what he did to live life to the full, as it says in John 10, 10, in his kingdom and in alignment with our deepest passions and priorities. Okay, so here's a great analogy for what a, a rule of life looks like. This is a trellis. Anybody familiar with a trellis? We have any green thumbs in here, gardeners? A Little bit, no? Okay, great. This is perfect then. It's a great analogy. Okay, we have one. All right, thank you, Patty. So this trellis is designed to help specific plants and vines and different small, um, different small trees, all of those things, it's designed to help them get growing, right? Because especially when they're young, they're very weak and fragile, right? And they're just standing on their own. If they're outside, a big windstorm comes along and just demolishes it, right? Like the second week of your new eating plan, gone. <laughs> yep. Rather, it's a support system that helps for when things like that come along and you're like, no, I don't want to give up on it. I believe in what it is, but I need it to be supported. I need there to be some structure to get this thing budding and off the ground. Okay? So the trellis is a support system. The plant grows up, wraps around, right? The vine might wrap around, and it can stay there because this is solid, right? Similarly, the rhythms and practices of our rule of life, they support our effort to apprentice under Jesus. Now, the rule of life itself does not produce the change. It leads to Jesus, and Jesus changes us. Right? The trellis is not growing. In fact, this is dead bamboo, I'm guessing. This isn't going anywhere. Rather, it's a tool that the living, growing organism will use to remain strong and healthy as it moves in the direction to more life. So our team has done a similar thing, 
but in the spiritual rule of life through practices. And we've actually developed 10 rules. We're going to call them rules, but they're really statements. And those statements describe the type of community that we desire to be as we apprentice under Jesus. And so today I'm going to roll out three of them because they're specifically designed to help us know Jesus, be with Jesus, okay? And then in the coming weeks, we'll roll out the other ones to you. And don't worry, you don't have to write these down because at the end of it, we will give you a bookmark with all of the statements on there. And it'll be on our website and it'll be everywhere. And it'll be super annoyed in six months because we're gonna talk about it, talk about it, talk about it, okay? <laughs> so don't worry about writing it down. But I want you to notice the structure of these statements, okay? First of all, they describe the type of community that we want to be to start. And then the way that that community stands in opposition to an unhealthy expression of culture or popular culture. And then finally, the practice that's gonna help us move in that direction, okay? So here they are, one through three. The first one is this, and you'll be familiar with this because we just did the practice of Sabbath. But we want to be a community of rest in a culture of exhaustion and hurry through the practice of Sabbath. We want to be a community of rest in a culture of hurry and exhaustion through the practice of Sabbath. Number two, we want to be a community of connection with God in a culture of distraction and escapism. We're going to do that through the practice of prayer. And then number three, we want to be a community of courageous fidelity and orthodoxy. Don't worry, we'll get those words to you in a culture of ideological compromise through the practice of scripture. Okay, now remember, these rules or these statements, they are not the goal. The goal is to be with Jesus, to be like Jesus and do what Jesus did, to apprentice under Jesus. These are simply helping us get there. They are like the trellis if you will, keep that in mind. They are like the trellis, the support system, so that we as branches, regardless of how strong we are in any given area, can remain connected to the vine, as Jesus said, right? Okay, so let's talk about these briefly, individually, and then I wanna close with a quick encouragement. First of all, Sabbath. Um, last fall, we participated in a church-wide um, practice of Sabbath. Now, hopefully you were able to join us for that. And if not, that's okay. You can learn about it and do it. We'll do it again. But as you know, the Sabbath was not the point. The point of Sabbathing was that it makes room for us to aim our attention and our life to Jesus, right? To create space where we're not producing so that we can rest and delight and worship. We see similar instruction from Jesus' teaching about Sabbath. He's challenged by some Pharisees one day when he's walking around with his disciples, and on the Sabbath, they start to pick grain because they're hungry, right? You all get it. You like to eat when you're hungry. And this is Jesus' response to the religious leaders of his day. In Mark 2, verse 27, he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. See, Sabbath is the practice that was given to us from God as a command. It's in the Ten Commandments to help us 
And it's not to impede us. It's not the point. It's not that if you don't get your Sabbath right this week, you're going to hell. That is not the case. I promise. Some Sabbaths are going to go great and others are going to be terribly, terribly interrupted. But again, the idea is, is that we create this space so that we can turn our attention, which is worship, to Jesus so that we might rest, delight, and worship him. Prayer. In a world that is full of distraction and escapism from what we really need and from what we really want, prayer is the practice that helps us focus our attention, again, our worship, to God. I have a few scriptures about prayer that I want to read to you. I'll read them one after another. They'll be on the screen. Starting with James chapter 5, it says, If anyone among you is in trouble, let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is any among you sick? Let them call on the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And then listen to this last line. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. 1 John 5.14 says this, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. He hears you. Be confident in that. Psalm 145, verse 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth. If God feels distant, you can believe these words. Call on him and he will be near. Mark eleven twenty four. therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. I have no I cannot explain that. I can't be like, certainly, you're going to get everything that you want. But I can also not say, well, the Bible's not true. We have to trust that what the Word of God says is true. We have to know it and that it tells us to pray for the things that we need and that we want and that God is listening. Okay? So the practice of prayer allows God the space to work in our lives, to change us. In fact, I think once we really understand the power of prayer as a church, I think we'll be hard-pressed to do anything but pray in our gatherings. But again, deep work in community over a long period of time. Finally, Scripture, the final practice statement from our time today. Matthew 7, 24 through 27 says this. Therefore, if, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, this is Jesus teaching. Those who hear these words of mine and put them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, which is your life. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. When the rains came down, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, it fell with a great crash. 
Jesus instructs that his word is meant to be heard and practiced. And the reason is for your benefit, that when the storms of life come, not if, but when the storms of life come and they beat against your life and they want to take you down, you will be like a wise person who built their house on the rock and will remain standing. For those who hear and practice, they are wise. For those who hear and ignore, they are foolish. The point is, the Bible is the word of God. And through these words, the Spirit transforms us. We cannot be complete people without the word of God working in our lives. We just can't. And I want you to be complete. And I want to be complete. And I'm not there yet. And I know you're not either. We're in this together. And we have a lot of grace for each other. Or we should. And we're working towards that. But we cannot be complete until we learn to hear the word of God and put it into practice. Okay, so in just a moment, we're going to pray. In fact, I'm going to invite the band up. We're going to sing one more song in just a second. We're going to receive communion together. But I want to close with a clear, clear explanation of what we are dreaming about, okay? For this church, for Foundation Church and everyone who's part of it. The rule of life that we're talking about is a support system. It is not the point. Jesus is the point. Jesus will always be the point. We are trying to find helpful, practical, and meaningful ways to help every one of us, myself included, apprentice under Jesus, to be with Jesus, to be like Jesus and do what Jesus did. Because any other trajectory for your life is shallow and empty, and it will leave you hollow, and it might even lead to destructive ends, and we don't want that. But here's the thing, it's completely up to you how much you engage this rule of life. We're gonna continue to do groups. We're gonna continue to have our gatherings. Not much practically is changing other than your opportunity to engage this communal rule of life. Take it as you want. Take it as God inspires you to take it. We're not forcing that on anybody, but I read you the statements. We want to be communities of rest, of attention on God, a focus on scripture and prayer. We want healthy, vibrant people, people who are living life to the full, as Jesus says. And so we feel as a team, Pastor Jessica, myself, the rest of the team feel highly responsible to create the space for that to happen. That's why we're doing this. And it will be deep work. And we are gonna do it together. And it will take time, but it will be so good. And the reason I know that and the reason I can stand here and say that is because Jesus promised life to the full. A version of it here and eventually in eternity in its fullest. But we have to be with Jesus, be like Jesus and do as Jesus did. Okay, let me pray for us and then we're gonna take communion. God, we thank you so much for this opportunity to hear your word and to be inspired by it and to sit here underneath its authority. God, thank you that you've given me the privilege to share. But God, I know that your 
work that you are doing in people's lives is the point. That no matter how much I say or how well I say it, you ultimately have to change our hearts. So I pray that whatever you're doing would be the point and that we would be open to it and be thankful for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with me? We're gonna receive communion together in just a moment after I pray for the elements and turn us loose. You can walk back to the table if you would like to grab a cup of juice and a cracker or a wafer as they are back there. And here's the thing, in our tradition, um, we practice this symbolically. Jesus gave us the exercise of receiving communion as a tangible reminder, similarly to baptism, where we go under the water and we can't breathe, right? And it feels like death. And then we come back out and it feels like new life. Jesus is instructing us to feel the change from not knowing him to knowing him. In communion, we recognize Jesus' death and resurrection, the sacrifice that he made so that we could be free. That scripture that talks about not being under the law is because of what Jesus did. We're under the law of freedom now because of Christ and the act of receiving communion is a gratitude inspired act where we remember what he did. So I'm gonna pray for the elements and then you can with your family or your household. Uh, if you're here by yourself, that's okay. Walk back, grab the elements, receive them, return to your seat for one more song and then we'll send you out. Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to receive communion and the tangible reminder, the juice and the cracker of what it is. It's your body and your blood sacrificed for us so that we could receive your grace and your mercy. So I pray for those who need to receive that, that that would be the case. For those who need to be reminded of the grace you have for them, that they would know that. And for every single person here that remembers this act would be inspired by it. In Jesus' name, amen. So feel free to grab the elements, receive communion, and then return to your seat.